Hey, podcast family. I hope you all are doing well. I'm actually on call. Yep, it's my on-call weekend. What are the chances I can get through this taping without them actually calling me? I hope it's actually pretty high. I just don't feel like going in today. Y'all ever feel that way? I love what I do. You know I do. I'm just not feeling it today. I just don't want to go in. Well, that was the first lesson they told me. My first direction was never book the studio if you know you're going to be on call. Because if you get called in the middle of the the session, we're going to have to start all over again. Well, nonetheless, here we are. But I didn't want to cancel it because (laughs) I had this weird kind of interesting discussion with a patient yesterday that I wanted to share with you guys. And it's a great illustration of how when, when a patient can can have a little bit of information, um, but not the whole picture, how they can misapply or misunderstand some of the tests that we offer. This has to do with carrier screening, okay? So this patient was new pregnant, first pregnancy, graduate student in public health. Um, And again, I love our grad students not trying to, you know, pick on anyone. But they knew a little bit about carrier screening because of the public health issue, but not a lot about medicine or what that even meant. So I want to go over this case with you. I want to lay out the specifics and we're going to just make it clear what carrier screening is and what it isn't because this was kind of a weird case. All right. So welcome to the episode. We're going to cover carrier screening, both preconception and during prenatal care, what it is and what it isn't. Here we go. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Well, before I get started, I want to share this with you because you may be interested in how this works or you may not be. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you anyway. But I did have a medical student approach me once and say, hey, I've got a question for you. Whenever you have a patient and you get something interesting and you know you can do that as a podcast episode, do you tell the patient about it? Uh, and the truth is, well, I don't always make that decision when I'm there you know, with the patient. Sometimes I think about it. I'm like, you know, that's an interesting case. And the patient's gone. But if I'm with them at that moment and I think, man, that's a, that'd make a good podcast talk topic. No, I'm not required to tell him I'm going to do it because I never give any identified information anyway. I mean, HIPAA is still protected. But I do let them know out of just out of courtesy, hey, I think this is a neat topic. You bring up a good point. I think I'm going to use that as a podcast episode. And I want you to know 100% of the time, I've not had anybody kind of you know, fight that or go, oh, please don't talk about that because they know that we're doing that for medical education. So the medical student asked, do I have to tell the patient, you know, that I'm going to do this in a podcast episode? And the answer is, do I have to? No, but do I? Yes, if I'm there, just out of patient courtesy. And I did tell the patient that once we finished our, our discussion, you know, I think I'm going to do this as a podcast episode because I think a lot of people like you were, were a little confused about it. And so I think we should kind of clear that up. And this young woman said, yeah, I think that'd be great service for public medical education. So no, I don't have to tell patients I'm going to do it as a podcast episode, but I tell them anyway, just out of courtesy. Okay, fine. Now that we covered that, let's give you some background as to how this conversation went, okay? So again, Prima Gravita, a grad student in public health, super excited about the pregnancy. She's about 12 weeks. Uh, she'd already had her ultrasound. Dates are secure. She was size equal to dates. So we've got sure criteria. 
And I said, hey, you know, one of the things that we offer you now that you're about 12 weeks is we can offer you, you know, cell-free DNA um, to check for the baby's genetic syndromes, uh, uh, really of only about four things that it checks, and we covered that. And then we can offer carrier screening for you. Um, you don't have to get that. That's optional. Um, but I think it's a good idea. It's your first pregnancy. You can get it just one time in a pregnancy. And once you know your results, um, then you don't have to get it repeated. So it's got value if we do that now. And her answer was, oh, cell-free DNA, checking the baby. I get it. I know it doesn't check for everything. I've done my research on that. But yes, that's fine. Uh, and then carrier screening. Yeah, I'll take that because I've always wanted to know where my ancestry was from. Uh, and I'm very curious about my BRCA status. And everything, my whole little bus that was traveling so well down the road just came to a halt. So I said, I said I'm sorry, uh, what now? And she said, well, for my carrier screening, um, you can check my genetic information. So, yeah, I'd like to see. I mean, that gives me ancestry information, right? And, and plus, I've always wanted to know about BRCA. So that's good. If you can check for that, I'd, I'd be very happy. Oh, my goodness. We were going so well in our discussion, and then it went south. I mean, that just brought me to a halt because she had a little bit of understanding of genetic testing, but completely misapplied and misunderstood what carrier testing was and what it was not. So, first of all, she was shocked that carrier testing, either preconception or during pregnancy, did not check for BR BRCA. She's like, well, why, why does it not check for that? And there's a very simple answer, because it doesn't qualify for carrier screening. It's got to meet certain criteria, so we're going to answer that. So before I get into this whole discussion, that, I just want to give you that flavor and that, this environment of, of, of what kind of set this whole thing off. So I thought, boy, if this educated, you know, highly educated person is confused about carrier carrier screening, we really need to put this out there. So we're going to cover the genetic evaluation, either preconception or obviously during prenatal, during prenatal care, uh, and, and clarify what we're talking about here, okay? So it's very easy. Remember, when you're talking about genetic screening, either preconception or during pregnancy, we're talking about two different targets. So for simplicity, let's consider like in our patient situation that the patient is already pregnant, Okay. Knowing, of course, carrier screening can be done preconception, which is what's preferred by the college and SMFM. But you can definitely do it if you haven't done it yet uh, in a prior pregnancy or pre-pregnancy. You can definitely do it, of course, during that pregnancy itself. Here's an easy way to remember or teach genetic tests antepartum, all right? So when somebody's pregnant, I, I learned this years ago, and I still teach my medical students, still teach the residents and fellows this, super easy, all right? So there's two different targets for genetic testing in pregnancy. One target is the fetus, okay? So that's the baby. The target is from who you're getting information from. So if it's cell-free DNA, that's the fetal target. If you're doing amni or CVS, that target, again, is the fetus. So for genetic tests, two targets. One of those is the fetus, and the second target is the mother. The mother gets the carrier screening, so you're looking for information from the mother herself. So two different targets, okay? Genetic tests also have two different focuses, the first focus is on chromosome abnormalities. That's obviously is abnormal number of chromosomes like triploides or trisomies or even less chromosomes like monosomies. So those are chromosomal issues. That's as one focus. And the other focus is for genetic alterations, abnormal genes. And that comes in for the maternal screen, the carrier test. All right. So two different targets. One is the baby and then the other is the mother. And then two different focuses, either chromosomal issues, of course, this is for the baby, 
or genetic gene mutations that are otherwise asymptomatic but can be passed to the child. So that's in the mother. Everybody clear? So how do you explain genetic tests during pregnancy? Easy. There are two different targets, the baby and then the mom, and two different focuses. The focus for the baby's genetic test is chromosomal issues, and the focus for the mother's genetic issues are abnormal genes in an asymptomatic patient called carrier testing. And it's that carrier testing that's the focus of this podcast. I just realized I said two different focuses. Is that supposed to be two different foci? Foci? Focuses? Look, English is a second language, so whatever it is. Two different items, all right? Fine. Let's get into what maternal carrier screening is. Because remember, ideally, this should be done pre-pregnancy. Well, my patients don't come in for preconceptual consults all that frequently. And sometimes they don't come in until they're ready to deliver. But if, if that doesn't happen preconception, then of course it can be done during pregnancy. But it only needs to be done one time. And ideally, it's with their first pregnancy. Because once you do the maternal carrier screen, it's not like it's going to change. I mean, it's valid from that point onward. So it's only done once. Carrier screening, whether it's targeted or full expanded, allows individuals to consider their range of reproductive options. Ultimately, the goal of genetic screening is to provide individuals with meaningful information that they can then use to guide pregnancy planning based on their personal values and based on their personal risks of passing a certain condition onto their child. Historically, ACOG and SMFM favored ethnic-based maternal carrier screening, but it's hard to figure out one person's pure genetic makeup because sometimes we have more than one lineage. I mean, I'm a mix of several different ethnic backgrounds myself. That's why ACOG now favors pan-ethnic. And in other words, regardless of your race, just screening for the most common genetic conditions out there. So there's pan-ethnic that's favored, or you could do expanded carrier testing that checks for a range of conditions that are even not just the most common one, but are even more rare. So while ethnic-based screening used to be historic, the two more favored approaches now to maternal carrier screening are either pan-ethnic based or expanded carrier. Now, this is an important point about pan-ethnic or universal screening for maternal carrier states because this actually changed through a practice advisory just in August of 2022. All right, so let me get into that because when patients ask, well, what does that mean? What am I being checked for if you're checking me for certain conditions that I know I don't have but I can pass on to the child? Remember, the most common are cystic fibrosis and, of course, spinal muscular atrophy and fragile X. Those are the least that should be checked on maternal carrier screening, all right? Fragile X, spinal muscular atrophy, and cystic fibrosis. But there's a practice advisory from ACOG from August 2022 that added a fourth one. So if you're doing expanded carrier, you're going to get these and you can do a bunch of other things. But if you don't want that and you want the more focused pan-ethnic maternal carrier screen, traditionally that was three, cystic fibrosis, spinomuscular atrophy or SMA, and cystic fibrosis. But in August 2022, that changed to include hemoglobinopathies in pregnancy. According to this practice advisory from August 2022 that called for universal hemoglobinopathy testing, the college reminds us, quote, Previous recommendations for hemoglobinopathy testing have used race or ethnicity-based strategies. However, race and self-identified ethnicities are poor proxies for genetics since self-identification with a specific race or ethnicity may be incompatible with genetic ancestry. 
given that approximately 1 in 66 people in the U.S. actually have a hemoglobinopathy trait, ACOG recommends offering universal hemoglobinopathy testing to persons planning pregnancy or at the initial prenatal visit if no previous tests are available, end quote. Is that wild or what? Again, I'm taping this in November 2022, and this was just August of 2022. That's why it's so important to keep up to date. So no more just screening, you know, Mediterranean or certain Asian descent uh, or African-Americans for hemoglobinopathy. ACOG does now call for universal screening for hemoglobinopathies, and that's part of the expanded maternal carrier screening. All right. So remember, cystic fibrosis. Uh, SMA, Fragile X, and then again, hemoglobinopathies is added to that list as that universal call by the college. So you only need to get that once, but if they haven't been checked for hemoglobinopathies, then yep, that's something that we should be screening for as well as part of the maternal screen for genetic issues. Now, let's get back to our patient because she just couldn't get her head around the fact that maternal carrier screening does not include the BRCA gene. I mean, she just couldn't understand why is that not part of it? And it's a very simple answer. I mean, carrier screening panels should assess things that put the child at immediate risk or especially during early childhood that could affect neurodevelopment and growth, not issues that have an adult onset of disease like BRCA. Now, that's exactly what the college said. So let me give you that paraphrase from the college stance of why BRCA is not included as maternal carrier test. And this comes out of the committee opinion number 690. That goes all the way back to March 2017, but it's been reaffirmed since then and hasn't changed. So according to the college's committee opinion number 690, yep, BRCA is not part of that screening panel. And let me give you that quote next. As stated by the college, quote, carrier screening panels should not include conditions primarily associated with the disease of adult onset, and that includes mutations of the BRCA gene, which confers an increased risk of hereditary breast cancer and ovarian cancer in adulthood, end quote. Now, I don't want to beat this BRCA thing into the ground anymore, but just remember that there are set criteria for when an individual should be BRCA tested. Either a family has a known BRCA germline mutation in the family, or there's a family history of early onset breast or ovarian cancer or male breast cancer. Those are risk factors that are identified where BRCA testing can be done once the patient is at least an adolescent or early adult, but that's not part of maternal carrier screening, okay? So remember, maternal carrier screening is looking for things that can put the child at risk of neurological development issues, neurodevelopmental outcomes, uh, abnormalities, uh, or metabolic disorders. And BRCA does not qualify as one of the markers for maternal carrier screening. There's a specific reason to look for BRCA, but this is not part of, of what's being done either preconception or antepartum, all right? So remember, expanded carrier testing does not include BRCA. Oh, and the second misunderstanding of maternal carrier screen from the patient was the easiest one to settle, right? Remember, she wanted to find out about her ancestry and where she was from. 
Uh, no, that's not the focus of maternal carrier screen. Uh, this is not Ancestry.com or 23andMe. All right, so she felt totally just disappointed that she, she thought she had such a good grasp on what maternal carrier screening was, and she was totally wrong. She was just misapplying a little bit of correct information in the wrong context. So no, maternal carrier screening will not tell you if you're part Italian part German or whatever you want to pick. That's not the focus of maternal carrier screen. But that's fine. Once we got all that cleared up, I mean, the patient was very happy. She understood what the information was, and she chose to get the pan-ethnic screen along with cell-free DNA. And she understood the focus of two targets and two different focuses of the test. And so at the end of the visit, she was very thankful. But yeah, I think she was a little embarrassed because she kind of wanted to know her ancestry from this test. Nope, we're not that company. All right, podcast family, we have covered our two different targets of genetic testing, either the fetus or the mother, and it's two different focuses, foci, focuses. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's either chromosomal issues or abnormal genes. The whole purpose of genetic screening of the mother is to identify those asymptomatic, non-phenotypic individuals who have an abnormal allele, abnormal genetic information, that they are at risk of passing on to the child. And no, that does not include diseases that manifest in adulthood like BRCA. BRCA screening follows a very specific family characteristic or family trait, but not part of maternal carrier screening. So there's indications for BRCA testing that have nothing to do with maternal carrier screening. Those are two different issues, all right? We're looking for things with maternal carrier screening that could put the child at immediate risk in early development of poor neurological development or abnormal quality of life or metabolic issues, not something like BRCA that's manifested in late adulthood. Well, as always, we're thankful for you and we're thankful that you're part of our podcast family. So we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls.